On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey listeners, it's Jenners from the Mixtape Memories podcast here to tell you about something positive. Sex positive, in fact. If you're like me, by now you've probably got a lot of time on your hands and are desperately seeking some form of pleasure or a stimulus. Well, I've got this awesome offer for you from our lovely sponsor, AdamandEve.com. Right now, you can select almost any one item for 50% off at adamandeve.com. But, wait, on top of all that, you will also get some awesome free stuff to spice up your bedroom. Enter the code MIXTAPE, that's M-I-X-T-A-P-E, MIXTAPE at checkout and get 10 free gifts. Few special sexy items, plus six spicy movies, and you got a whole evening ahead of you. And also, free shipping, can't forget that. Get yourself a gift, or surprise your partner or partners as it may be with a gift. And uh, don't forget to put together a special mixtape playlist to set the right mood. Shoegaze, perhaps? The offer code again is mixtape, M-I-X. T-A-P-E mixtape at adamandeve.com Hello and welcome to Mixtape Memories. I'm Jenners. And I'm Matt Hart Spade. We're here today with a very special guest, uh, LA-based, Norwegian-born singer-songwriter Sandra Lurke. How are you, Sandra? Good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, all things considered. How are you guys? Hanging in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of sirens, so oh, we might yeah. hear some ambulances in the back um, wow. as we do this all remotely. Wow. Um, how is the vibe in Norway? Um, it is, you know, it feels pretty, I guess it feels sort of, it's subdued. It's, it's a little muted. Um, it's a little hard for people, I think, to, you know, on days when you have really good weather, um, it's hard for people to maybe stay, stay inside and stay isolated and all these things. Because, Good weather, you know, the first days of spring are really, really meaningful to Norway. You know, we, we live in the cold and it's been a really, really dark winter. And and so it, being in this situation, having to sort of resist spring as it's sort of trying to lure you out to do all the big social things you, you normally are doing is a little hard for people. But um, all in all, I think Norway's doing well. I'm happy to be here. I I. Uh, yeah, I, I, I left LA three weeks ago, and um, I found I found that it would be better to be in in Norway. So here I am. Good, good. I'm, I'm glad you're you're hanging in there. Uh, how is it kind of promoting an album? Because uh, Patience is coming out on June fifth. Yes. 
available for pre-order now. Absolutely. How does it feel to be doing all this press and promotion and, and whatnot entirely virtually? Well, I guess it feels like you are seeing what you are actually able to do. I guess we're all seeing what we are actually able to, how effective we can be with limited um, means and, you know, what, what meetings are really, really, really important and what meetings can be just an email, you know? So in that mm-hmm. sense, it, it feels somewhat, you know, constructive. We are learning some things. I, at first I thought, oh my God, like it's my, you know, everything you've sort of planned for the year and everything you've invested in the record. I, you know, I run my own label. I, I, I count, you know, every penny that goes into this. And then, uh, so I was thinking like, God, is this, is everything going to fall apart? Of course, now I'm seeing that a lot of touring plans are, are, are having to shift and having to change. And, mm-hmm. and that's hit a lot of people already, but, but I'm seeing that also a lot of new opportunity uh, appears and that people are improvising. I love improvising. So a lot of good in that sense is coming from it. And, and, and I'm realizing that releasing a record called Patience, maybe there hasn't really ever been a better time for a record called Patience <laughs> than now. Before we started recording, Jen and I were talking about how it's kind of serendipitous and, yeah. and weirdly fitting. Because uh, I feel like the vibe of the album is, is kind of calming, kind of soothing, kind of, uh, you know, it, it feels right. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I've been working on this record since 2012. The first song was written in 2012, and I started recording it in 2014. So you know, it's it's not like I planned it, and it's not like like it's just it's just been something I've been working on, and I've put out other records while working on this one. So it was just always meant to come out at this moment, and it's it's a labor of of patience, but a labor of love and and a quest for serenity and 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 you know i I don't know i think i was trying to soothe myself and to create some sort of safe space for a lot of complex emotions and a lot of contrasting emotions it's it's an album of of a lot of contradiction and and i think we live in times of great contradiction so uh -hmm. maybe this is the only time it, it could come out yeah yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I found it so like soothing and, you know, there's just so much bad news out there. And, you know, once I like turned the album on, I just, I felt like I was transported oh, <laughs> to like another, you know, space that really felt just like, it just made me feel better. Actually. I really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you so and... much. I, that makes me so happy to hear and, and, and to hear people already sort of like really taking the time to listen and, and sort of finding, yeah, like just finding that, oh yeah, there's this, this is, this is actually part of what I need right now. That's, that's, that makes me, makes me happy uh, that I can share that with, with you guys, especially nowadays. Yeah. Um, you, a few days ago, or I guess maybe a couple weeks ago at this point, you put out the video for You're Not Who I Thought I Was. Visually, I think it's quite stunning. Uh, I was wondering what you had in mind. I mean, my interpretation of it is kind of just your move to the West Coast, but maybe there's something uh, bigger that I'm missing out on for, <laughs> for the purpose there. It's actually a funny thing. Like, uh, 
I, I made the video with my friend John Danovic, who is a great filmmaker. He's both, uh, you know, a great uh, DP, um, cinematographer, editor, director. He does it all. And he likes improvising. And so we just had fun, like... He happened to be in Norway when I was in Norway in, you know, in the, in the, in the dead of, of January. He was here for other work that pays much better than working with me. But we, we, had, to, <laughs> we had to take advantage of that. And, and so he had a couple of days off. And I had a very loose idea that we could go into the woods of, of Oslo outside right outside of oslo and we could just start shooting me i had this really striking red coat that you'll see in the video that i i knew i wanted that to be like the the costume piece and i wanted to bring a shovel so i was going into the woods to start digging you know in the in this this sort of snow on a very foggy day and i thought you know that's sort of where it started and i honestly we didn't know that it would turn out to be such a narrative piece we were just sort of improvising mm -hmm. with visual elements and, you know, improvising with what I could do in, in that setting because, you know, the setting was sort of the, 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 the attraction for us. But then it turned out to become this much more narrative-driven thing where in the end, I, and I always wanted to shoot something in L.A. as well. And, and John thought it'd be cool if, well, what if you're digging, you know, you're digging your way to L.A., like imagining uh -huh, LA uh -huh. to be on the other side of the, the, the world from Norway, which isn't, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch, but still, but yeah, it just grew from there and it became uh, much more um, involved and, and, and <laughs> complex narrative feature, uh, short feature, it, probably more complex than we would know how to explain, but you know, that's part of the fun with making a music video. It, it you know, it, it, you can play with, visual things that sometimes are just there because they are visually pleasing or they're visually connected to the song in, in a way that is maybe hard to explain, but it, it just is. But then sometimes, you know, these, these stories take shape and, and, and it surprised me that the, the, the extent to which it, it, you know, it, 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 I suddenly I'm, you know, I had this idea it'd be fun to, if, if I'm in the woods and I'm alone, but suddenly I'm watched by other versions of myself and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Only by the end of it did we realize that it's sort of an existential riff on the my two-way monologue video from 2004. Uh, you know, I was thinking that too. There were some parallels. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like the sequel. It's like the 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 dark sequel uh, to two-way monologue. I was more thinking at first it was like, you know, like some kind of cr crime story. Yeah, thankfully, I think it's just metaphorical. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's, you know, like a poetry to your songs and, and it's kind of cool when you have a music video that kind of adds to a different layer to the song, you know, and I just, I thought, I personally thought like, um, it was like, I love the idea that they're like, like the self can have like multiple dimensions. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. you know, you're kind of digging up parts of yourself over time or maybe you're burying certain yeah, parts exactly. of yourself. And, yeah. You I know. think also like because the song is is pretty explicitly about feeling split in two in a way. Feeling split in two between the person who leaves to go on tour and to perform and who lives within his music, which I do to a great extent. And and this other person who is 
you know, uh, you know, maybe someone's boyfriend or girlfriend or wife or husband or brother, sister, son, you know, you are, you're, it's, 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 it's sort of, the song is very explicitly about feeling, feeling split in between the performance you do in, in your own music that you stage and the performance or the failure to perform maybe in, in your own sort of private life. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, that's something that, that we ran with in the video also, you know, that there are all these other selves watching, um, this uh, this guy trying to come to terms with or trying to bury one of us you know we're not quite certain which which part of himself is he trying to reject or bury or or rid himself off you know which one is is winning in the end you know so we're going to go way back and i was wondering if you could kind of share some of the first bands you started to fall in love with uh perhaps when you were a kid a teenager yeah, I think my my first intense musical experience and and just ongoing infatuation was Aha. Uh, when mm -hmm. I heard Take on Me, I was probably four years old, and I heard it playing from the living room when I went to bed. I think my parents had just gotten divorced. I think it had been probably an intense time for the whole household, and and I think more than anything. When my mom put me to bed and I finally had some alone time, uh, being able to play, she played the extended version of Take On Me from the 12 inch in the mm. living room. And I heard it sort of faintly in the, in the distance. And I, she left the door open because she knew I, I enjoyed hearing, you know, no, you know, whatever was going on in the living room. And, and she knew, and I guess she must have known then that I, it was a welcome thing to hear this song. And, and I, I don't, you know, with memories, you never know. Did this happen like every night? Did this happen only once? You know, it's hard to mm -hmm. say, but I have very vivid memories of Take On Me playing and soothing, I think, both my mother and, and myself in, 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 in a, what was, you know, probably a much more, or I know now is a much more complicated situation than, than I realized <laughs> at four. But, um, and, and, and that began my lifelong infatuation with AHA. They, they became like, my identity for the first uh, 15 years of my life. And that's fascinating because obviously, you know, growing up in the States, we're only familiar with Take On Me for the most part. Exactly. Yeah. There's so much in Europe and in Asia and in other, a lot of other places. They, they kept on having hits into the early 90s. And, and so as I grew a little older and I started sort of appreciating their records in real time, I, I, I became incredibly obsessed with with them and and um, and of course eventually in the early 90s their popularity dipped also here and I felt like I was the only one standing up for aha and everybody else was was team Guns N' Roses or team Metallica <laughs> team Michael Jackson and I was the only one trying to keep the flame alive and then they 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 broke up in 94 and then they returned at the the end of the '90s um, and had a huge, huge uh, hit, uh, several hits, but one particular big hit in in like 2000 in all of uh, Europe and and beyond. And and since then they've they've been touring uh, like more than ever. Um, so they're a very big touring act in Europe, and I think they're doing their first album, the Hunting High and Low album. They're playing that in mm -hmm. in its entirety. And I think they're going to come 
to America soon to, to play some shows there, which, you know, it's been years and years since they played in America. But yeah, I'll always be an oh, cool. AHA fan. I'll always. That's like my first love. <laughs> so did you put AHA on a lot of mixtapes back in the day? Oh, yeah. I, I <laughs> you know, I would sit um, when I was, you know, probably when I was like eight, nine, ten years old, we had moved to a small apartment it was just me my mom and my 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 one sister i have two older sisters and one older brother but the two oldest ones had had abandoned us and it was just me and and my mom and my my sister and we were living in this small apartment and uh it was we moved there in 1989 and i think that was a that was a big deal to me because i moved and i it was. It felt like a sort of downgrade because we moved to the other side mm-hmm. of the freeway and to a small, this little, felt like a, a very, very uh, claustrophobic apartment. And But there was one good thing, and that was that it, they had cable TV. And the cable TV came with this apartment. And I went from having had, like, for the first eight years of my life, we had one TV channel. And suddenly I had 20, and one of them was MTV. And so... I started really exploring music through watching MTV for hours and hours every day. And, and so, so, you know, suddenly I expanded my palette a little bit from just listening to AHA to actually listening to other artists as well. And, and, um, and so I started making mixtapes that were not just centering around AHA, but also like, <laughs> you know, exploring other options, you know. And what kind of stuff was on them? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I, you know, if we are in the it's sort of early '90s, maybe I, yeah. I, I was into, um, I picked up a lot of stuff from my older brother. He would listen to In Excess, to U2. Mm-hmm. You know, Artun Baby was a big record. Uh, Welcome to Wherever You Are by In Excess from like '92 was was a big record for me. My sister listened to Elton John. I would, you know, I, I I'd take some of that and then you know sprinkle it with with aha i guess i was getting into uh nirvana and soundgarden even like around in 94 i I remember super unknown by soundgarden was a big record and so i think we all own that one. yeah exactly that's that's (laughs) you know it was that time and it felt exciting to explore you know slightly heavier or more intense stuff. I remember the, the the second Pearl Jam album, Versus, was a very big record for me. Um, mm-hmm. I listened a lot to that record. Um, but I was very like I was into a lot of different stuff. I remember I would I would watch MTV and they would play really a big variety of stuff. And I would I would mute the sound when the VJ was talking and I would be talking, sort of like I'm talking to you now. And and I would be. Sort of, <laughs> talking and you know in english and i would be pretending i was the host and then as soon as i recognized the video and i would usually recognize it immediately because i watched all the time i would introduce the 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 song and then fade it in and then you know pretend i was the host of mtv (laughs) oh i love that (laughs) yeah something to do you know (laughs) <laughs> how did you get into actually writing your own songs and playing music from um, being a fan i think that happened also pretty early i i i remember at school probably i guess probably when i was eight in school we we were offered um 
this they gave us this note that where you could sign up for for guitar or for music classes to learn an instrument and i i just i made a an x where it said guitar and 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 i handed it to my mom i said can i can i play the guitar and she said yeah let's do it and i i i don't know my theory is that by that time i had already realized that the songs in aha were not written by the singer even though he was my hero the 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 shy guy with the guitar in the back that was the songwriter and and i mm-hmm. i have a theory that i i just picked up on that and and i wanted to be the maker of songs i i i wanted to because i wasn't singing at the time i wasn't i i wasn't very like technically i wasn't interested in technical stuff but I knew that if I okay if I if I want to be on stage I gotta have a reason to be there. Well, if I write the song, maybe they'll you know I can be on stage. Well, okay, if you're gonna write the song, you need a, a, a you know you need a a tool. You need like a, a something to to make it on you know. So I, I the guitar just seemed reasonable, and um, and it took me years before I I became friends with the guitar. I wanted to quit every week, and it turns out. I signed up for a classical guitar lesson. It was terrible. I had no interest in classical guitar. <laughs> oh, so it's a wonder I kept at it. My mom wouldn't let me. She she um, she kept she she went with me sometimes. I had a very intimidating guitar teacher, but it, it, it was intense. But there was something I was so consumed with music. I really wanted to be in it. And, and I, I didn't want to just listen. I, I needed to be in it. And I, and, and I think a big moment for me, maybe I've underestimated the, the importance of this moment in the past, but my guitar teacher was half Brazilian. And he, I think when he saw he was losing me, he, he, he said, okay, I'm willing to compromise. You have no interest in classical music. I have no interest in, in pop music. But... I will teach you Brazilian pop music. And he started teaching me Bossa Nova. And, and that was music I could relate to. I loved the melodies and the chords and even some of the songs I recognized. And, and so I learned a lot about Brazilian chords, you know, jazz chords, really, and, and that way of harmonizing. And I just fell in love with, with that sound. And, and that's something that I've, I've taken with me to this day you know and 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 i since have explored a lot of brazilian music that has really really shaped my songwriting and my influences and stuff so i think that saved me and 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 um and 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 suddenly i you know i I could start writing my own songs because i learned these chords and i it took me a while but i i i uh once i started making songs i i i just was obsessed. I I would I, I wouldn't want to leave the house. I just wanted to get home from school so I could sit on my bed and, and try to make better songs or make make something that felt good inside. So now that you're quarantining at home, is it the same kind of feeling? Like you're excited to kind of create new stuff now that you have the time and, and the space? Yeah, it's it, it, it is a, it's a little like now. I guess it's a bit different because now I've been so geared towards okay releasing this record this big ass record that i've been recording over all these years that and 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 because i sort of run my own little operation i have a couple of good helpers and stuff but i have to sort of drive the 
the thing forward, I, I actually have been really busy just doing that. And I, I wish I had more time to sit and write new songs or read books and, 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 and explore inspiration because um, it would be, it would be nice, but I'm sort of, because I'm in Norway also now, like I'm on, I work on both Norway time and then U.S. time. I've, I'm, I'm always working on something, on some songs or some idea that's lingering in my mind, but I actually haven't, uh, I haven't like taken the time to write my symphony uh, yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. It's though. coming. It's coming. <laughs> I wanted to touch upon the book you put out, which I believe is only in Norwegian at this point, yes. correct? A few months back. Yeah. Um, I love that you um, have always kind of embraced your love of pop music, as you said, even from a young age. Why do you believe there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure and, and we shouldn't be embarrassed for listening to Britney and whatnot? I, I just think uh, there's so much shaming in the world. Uh, you know, the uh, people are looking for ways to... For us to be ashamed and we are looking for ways to shame ourselves and music should be a safe space and i i just realized you know when i was younger and when i was a a sort of snotty uh pretentious uh music dude i i i would be probably inadvertently or like indirectly shaming people for not you know not not list you know oh you haven't heard about so and so you know because we all create our identities from from these artists that that give our life meaning but often we we sort of flaunt that in a way that is i think sometimes made to almost shame others oh you haven't heard you know there's always this sort of like one upment in in music and and as i've grown older i just i just felt that was more and more just obsolete and completely self-defeating because music should be completely uh, shameless and it should if it gives you pleasure you should have no guilt music of all places or and, and, and of all phenomenons should be the thing or the place where we should all be all feel safe to en enjoy and love whatever it is and and express ourselves through whatever it is and and I just think music is a good place to start and and so when I wrote this book I I sort of confronted some of my own sort of former pretensions as a music snob and as a music you know for, for someone like me who's defined my entire identity through music i i had to sort of own some of that before i could move on and 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 just say like well there should there you should feel no shame you should like if it give if you love it and if it gives you happiness like how music can never never ever be um be shameful and and I, I you know it's something I wanted to pass on with with this book that's a really good message I think because I just find music so personal yeah. so it's like I would never want someone to judge of me based on not. what song I like or what I respond to because it's you know it's a personal experience it's you know? so impersonal and it and it has very often everything to do with where you are at at that moment how you find the music, how the music finds you. So what it means, and and also what what artists you find your identity in it. it it's I I just realized when I was writing these essays about other artists, but also about finding myself both as a a, a fan and an artist myself. 
through other people's music, you just realize that, you know, it's very often it's, it's almost random what you find. You find whatever is accessible to you at the moment. And you're looking to belong. We're all looking to belong. And music is a very, very effective way to belong. And, and I think when you're young, it's easy to sort of define who you are from who you are not. And I think that's fine. That's what, you know, kids do and teenagers do. But once I got a little older, I just felt, well, I'm too old to sort of have to put something down in order to sort of tell people who I am. I, I should be telling people who, who I am by, by what I love, not by what I hate. Because what I hate is loved by millions of other people. Who, and, and why should my opinion about what I don't like matter to them? Well, you know, so, so suddenly you just don't feel so cool about expressing disdain for music in the same way I, I maybe did previously, where you feel elevated above certain things. You know, I still have opinions about music. There's so much music I think is terrible. But it's just, just something powerful to me about trying to acknowledge and come to terms with um i just find the empathy in music where you realize that oh that music that i personally hate is as meaningful to strangers um as the music that matters to me is to to to, to myself and you have to honor that it's a beautiful thing you know yeah i think for me the kind of that road from um being snobby to kind of just accepting everything I like. I remember a specific moment. I was DJing a cake shop once. Uh-huh. It was a late night set. And after a while, I had a few drinks and I was playing Whitney and Cindy and Madonna. And every, yeah. and you know what? The whole room was dancing. So even the snobby indie kids want to hear that stuff at some point. So I just kind of, I realized, you know, I, I've been to so many of these big pop spectacles that are like, you know, at MSG or Barclay Center here locally. Yeah. And they're some of the best nights out I've had. In addition to the nights that, you know, stumbling in the Lower East Side or the East Village. So it's kind of a, a little bit of yin and a little bit of yang. And also, we live in now pretty much like a post-genre society, I feel, musically, you know? It's, it's, uh, and, and that's why, like, if people, if people say, oh, you know, yeah, like, Britney is my guilty pleasure or Whitney is my guilty pleasure, it's like, well, why should it be guilty? It should just be pleasure, you know? I love, I love your like message of having empathy too, because I think so many times, like we don't try to see things from like someone else's perspective. And if we just tried to, um, the world would be such a better place. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and if there's one thing that music has just, uh, you know, boundless potential for it is empathy. It brings people together. It helps us see, you know, situations and people from different perspectives and, and, and we should sort of allow that, allow it to have that effect also when we understand um, and try to understand at least what, what music means to people and what, you know, how, how something that means nothing to me or even makes me a little nauseous or just confused is, is very meaningful music to someone else. And, 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 and you can't say um, that that is a, 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 an experience that is of less value than your own, just in the way that we cannot say that that human being is worth less than this human being. We are all equal, you know, and music uh, should be equal. And of course, then it's still fun to say, oh, this was the best album of the year. No, I think this one is that, you know, we can still have that, but it doesn't have to, 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 to be rooted in this like shaming culture in, in music. And, and of course, 
shame should have no place in in uh, in in other parts of society as well but you know but music you know for me music is is really key i agree i wanted to circle back to your years in new york because you yeah. were here for quite some time um now i was introduced to you when i was interning at astroworks and faces down was coming yeah. out and i was calling brick and mortar type stores and saying well you know why don't you display this album in the front you know <laughs> thank you for your um, service so, yes yes <laughs> um and then I've, of course, seen you live many, many times through the years, and we've done interviews yeah. and other things. But I was just wondering, um, some of if you could pass along some of your like key memories or favorite venues you used to perform at or go see shows back in that span of time from you know the early mid two thousands until a couple years ago. Yeah, I, I guess you know I I have a, I have very vivid memories of my first visit to New York. Um, it was. Right when Faces Down had come out, or maybe was about to come out, it was late October of 2002, and it was CMJ, the, like the music conference, was uh -huh. happening, and I was playing showcases, and I was doing interviews, and I had never been to America before. I was, you know, I was, uh, I guess I was tw 20, 20 years old, I just turned 20, and I had honestly honest to God, never ever thought that my record would come out in America because, you know, it was coming out in Europe or that had happened the year before and things were moving and shaking there. But something about America was just uh, unattainable. And so coming to me, I remember a big deal. I was playing a showcase at Tonic. Oh, wow. And Tonic. <laughs> uh, and that was the first and only time I, I ever went to Tonic because that club disappeared pretty quickly after but I had heard of Tonic as a place where you might run into Jim O'Rourke um, mm -hmm. who was a you know a big big deal to me um, his Eureka album and 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 in insignificance had just come out I think around that time so to me suddenly I was like entering into all these locations that were mythical you know not only are you walking uh, Fifth Avenue and seeing the skyscrapers and you know seeing all all the stuff you've seen in, on film you know in Seinfeld or whatever. Well, it's not real in Seinfeld, <laughs> I guess, but but you're seeing seeing all this. But but suddenly I'm also seeing these um, these venues and and uh, and playing shows and even meeting bands and Astroworks obviously was a, a great label to be associated with and it was a good time to. It was a good time, just in general, and 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 um, and so it always had a special place in my heart. I think, I think by the time I I um, I moved there, which was just three years later, um, I had toured. By then, I had toured a bunch around in in America, and usually starting in New York. So I would usually have a couple of days in New York, and I made some friends in New York, and and in the end, it just felt like. Well, I can I could live here. Like I can live anywhere. I'm I'm a touring musician. I'm not home half the time anyway. I right. I, I can live in New York, and so I I just moved to New York, and and um, of course by then maybe I was a little bit more jaded and and also a little road weary. So when I was in New York, when I was home or you know living in Williamsburg, I didn't really go out so much the first couple of years. I just stayed inside. 
I didn't. I I went to some shows. I I I remember. I remember I went to a place called Public Assembly, mm-hmm, uh, okay. which now is not Public Assembly. I, uh, it probably had a couple of different names, but that was that was a venue around that time, probably two thousand five. And I remember I saw a, a, a bunch of stuff there that was exciting. And I remember uh, the the early days of Sebulon in Williamsburg. Um, of course, that that was yeah. a, an exciting place to go because I didn't. It was sort of a scene that I was interested in, but I didn't quite have like a full grip of what would what you know the the moving parts in, in that scene. And I, that was always exciting to me, you know, to go somewhere where I could be surprised if I went out to see music that I, that I, I, I would see people from a little outside of my own sort of circle, both socially and musically. And, and Zebulon was a great, uh, great venue. And, and, um, well, now that I live in LA, Zebulon of course has, has re, you know, risen from the, from the dead in LA. And it is a very vital, vital place, uh, for music in, in LA. Um, but also a, just a very different experience than that little little uh, little place in Williamsburg. But I, I, I guess I, f- I was trying to, when I came to New York to live, I, I, I really enjoyed sort of the feeling of starting from scratch in a way that, because I I'd, I'd had a pretty unusual life already as a, as, as a teenager um, uh, in Norway and, you know, it, it was nice for me to just be in New York and just, I don't know, I don't know, just blend in. <laughs> Man, it was a, a really exciting time to, to be in New York. Certainly. God, it was. And I remember suddenly I'd be, I'd be doing like a photo shoot with, uh, with Mick Rock. Mm-hmm. He, he had done the, the, the photos for my, for my two way monologue album. And and suddenly, when I moved there a little bit afterwards, I would be invited to these parties with Mick Rock. I was so innocent and so young, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand half of what was going on at these parties. And I, I hardly drank a drop of alcohol. It was a very strange sort of combination. The combination of me and and the, the the hedonism of 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 New York in those days was a very very strange sort of collision of of uh, innocence and and and, and the opposite <laughs> first time i saw you um was when you did a show with regina specter uh-huh. i think it was at that yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. and i was just like it was just like this magical experience <laughs> you know because like you just your music just stands out in such a like eloquent, you know, and you have way, and you have like this endearing quality um, that I feel like you still have, well, <laughs> and that's like a magical part of you, you know. <laughs> so I love that you're just like in the mix oh yeah, of, it like, was like, underbelly of New it York. was. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and I. And I was, of course, very like just deeply naive in many ways, and and I do remember also like the first month, like I moved to New York in January of two thousand five, and I, I remember I was a little terrified because it was you know it's different when you you go somewhere to live there and to sort of find a new life, and it was so cold. My God, the New York winter was much worse than I had 
assumed I had, you know, I'd been to New York and no like redeeming factor. And normally you, you, you know, you, it's cold. Yeah. But you get like snow and you know, it, nature is never far away, but in, in New York, it is pretty industrial and pretty, you know, it, it's a, it's a city. It's, it's, um, mm -hmm. I was shocked and I was a little terrified. I remember the first half year I was like, I'm living here. I don't know. If, is this too much excitement? You know, will will this thing keep me up alive? <laughs> I didn't yeah. plan plan on staying a long time, but I ended up living there for thirteen years. That's crazy. <laughs> How do you think that it had um, the culture of New York had um, influenced you? Um, that's a good question. I, you you know, I think for someone like me who who. Um, who is pretty, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty adaptable and, and pretty gentle. And I, I definitely learned a thing or two about, um, you know, being, I, I think I learned how to be just a little bit more, more assertive and rough, you know, mm -hmm. like New York, everybody's fighting to sort of claim the same space and, 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 you know, people live in, shoe boxes and 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 we stand very close to each other on the subway all these things very different from norway uh where where mm -hmm. where you you know you really there's more space and people also are are much less sort of socially uh i don't know they're they're nice more new york you're you get used to the rough and tumble of of like surviving socially next to each other you know and, and i i definitely learned a thing or two from doing that, like as a cha you know, challenging myself, I guess. Um, mm. Musically, I feel it's always hard to pin down because I travel so much, and whatever you experience, you take in, regardless of where you are. I, I, I always, I never felt like I was a part of any particular scene uh, before I came to New York, or after, or during. The, there was a lot of stimulating music happening in New York. In, in those years that I lived there, from 2005 to 2000, um, I guess 18, but and clearly, you know, the the whole 2009 boom was was definitely something uh, that was exciting and that I felt. But I I never really, I always felt I was in my own little bubble, and I didn't really feel, you know, I, I didn't really feel like a part of it. I felt I was either a step behind or a step ahead. <laughs> I was never, mm -hmm. I was never quite in sync with with my surroundings, um, and I think that would have been the case, probably almost wherever, wherever I would have been. You know, in Norway, I certainly felt that way always. Um, I, I so I, I I early very early on I got used to just like, you know, I don't know, keeping my own time in a way, and not I don't I didn't really seek approval from my surroundings in terms of like you know what are we into now you know i just i just mm -hmm. went with my own flow and 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 i did that you know in new york as well and and um and i found it to be a, a stimulating place to be but it's really hard to trace like the influence of new york um i don't yeah it's 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 tricky i i, I do I do remember having like a couple of moments where I was like, 
I started listening to like Marquee Moon by television mm-hmm. in New York and feeling like, whoa, now, now I'm like, I'm listening to Marquee Moon in New York, like walking around downtown Manhattan. Okay, that's very New York. Maybe would I be getting into this record if I, if I didn't live here? Like, would I be, how would it be listening to this record in, in walking around Norway? You know, would that be a different thing? You know, yeah. so I had a couple of moments like that. Um, and certainly Williams living in Williamsburg was, a was very exciting from, you know, for a lot of those years, you know, 2007 and eight and nine and, and 10, when I, uh, 2010, I re- recorded my first album in actually in, in my neighborhood in, in Williamsburg or in Greenpoint. And that was exciting. Cause then, then I, I, I guess I started feeling a bit more connected with, or start, I started looking outwards more, um, to, you know, to, to, well, wow, what shit? There, there are a lot of studios around here, and I started realizing that a lot of these records I enjoyed were actually recorded right up the street. You know, in the studio of Rare Book Room, they had done the, the, mm-hmm. a lot of the Deer Hunter stuff and uh, the, the the Spoon record that came out at the time that I really liked. And so then I started like getting a bit more sort of oriented in 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 what was moving in the in the neighborhood, and 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 that was cool. Should we hop into our repeat skits? Yes. So the first one is Fiona Apple's um, 1999 sophomore album, When the Pawn. Yes. I think for the sake of this uh, podcast, we'll just keep it to the, <laughs> the abbreviated version of the album. You know, I, but I, just, I have to, yeah, I have go to ahead. tell you, I, um, so I write, uh, there's an essay about Fiona Apple in my book, uh, my essay book uh, collection, uh, which I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm working on getting it translated into English, so... The rest oh, of the great. Work and, and yeah, appreciate it. But I write about Fiona Apple, and in the I did like the audiobook uh, for for Norway. I, I read the book myself, and in it I read the entire title of When the Pawn uh, as a wow. state, as a statement, of course. Um, and it, I had a lot of fun doing that. <laughs> I don't remember it by heart, though, sadly. <laughs> Uh, I think at the time it like broke the record for the longest album title, but then Chumbawamba oh. of all bands like outdid her. Oh my God. Yeah, they just they just had to do that, right? They just had to go. Of course, there. God. But I mean, I love this album so much. I think all of us are on the same page with this record. But um, my memory is of this album. I bought it during a midnight sale. Do you remember those? Where you'd actually go uh, when the album came out at the the second it came oh, out to purchase wow. it at a store. Which store did you go to? Um, I was going to school in Maryland, so it was like a small um, independent shop uh, by campus. Amazing. Yeah. And then I entered and I actually won the autographed canvas uh, that I guess she gave. But I actually gave it to a friend. I wish I had kept it for myself, believe me. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then, yeah, and then a few months later, I saw her at 930 Club when she was touring this oh album. My and God. it was so great. Um, yeah. Anyway, I can go on, but I also remember like I would DJ this album a lot on my college radio station. Um, she's yeah, I mean, I was a fan of Title, but this kind of secured her in my mind as like just next level. Yeah, I I have like for me that record, full disclosure, is one of my favorite records of all time, and it actually was the first album I heard of Fiona Apple. I I had heard that uh, I heard about her during Tidal and the Tidal wasn't such a big 
album in Norway. Neither was this, mm-hmm. to be honest. But but I had probably heard Criminal, um, and but I think I was a little intimidated by her whole persona. You know, I was I was still you know I was fourteen, fifteen. Like I I I, I couldn't fully take it on at the the moment. And then a couple of years later, mm-hmm. when when the pawn came out, I remember really well. It came out when I was recording my my um, my first album. I was in the studio. Every day after school, school I'd go to the studio and I'd be recording for Faces Down, and and uh, it just became sort of my go-to album to sing along. I would warm up when I was doing like vocal takes. I'd warm up because her songs and melodies were so there's so much movement and, and and phrasing, and it was such a great way to warm up, uh, you know. And and at that time, I was not a very experienced or or skilled singer. So singing along with her seemed like, uh, you know, stretching for the heavens, really. But it just, you know, I, I have such fond memories singing along to uh, paper paper bag in in the in the vocal booth right before I, you know, recording uh, some some of the Faces Down songs. And oh, that's that's a that's that's cool to know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you try to learn from the best. But uh, yeah, I just I just thought. This album, I remember, I, 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 I bought it. I had heard "Fast as You Can" on the sort of alternative radio in Norway, and and I had, and I thought, what is this song? It's fast and it's slow and it changes and it's really, really deeply melodic, but it's also furious. I just thought this is this is just the, the wildest song I've ever heard on the radio, and I bought the whole record and. And it, 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 yeah, it, it changed my life, man. I, by the time I got to the last track, I know, which probably is my favorite mm-hmm. on the album, maybe my favorite of hers. I, I, I was experiencing, experiencing some really adult emotions. I felt I was like, I was feel, I was crying the tears of, of, of heartbreaks that hadn't happened yet, you know? <laughs> Good way to put it. It was so yeah. intense. Jen, what are your memories of this one? Yeah, I had uh, been a big fan of Tidal. Um, I was in college back then, and um, I just remember uh, when when the pawn came out that it was. I I did feel like it was a, such a great like follow up to Tidal, and really, honestly, like revisiting it for the podcast. Um, I just loved every song. I was just like, <laughs> all these like memories come back because it's such an emotional record. Yeah. And like, you really have to allow yourself to be like vulnerable when you're like listening yeah. to it. Um, and, uh, and I can totally see, you know, um, the influence um, of like a Fiona to you. Yeah. Um, and just in the vocals and like the lyrical, you know, quality and and like, yeah, I, I guess for me it was just like emotions and like totally unrequited mm. love. Yeah, I think what I also connected was that was that it, it had these like she she used strings a lot. Obviously, the you know the album being produced by John Bryan, I didn't know who, who he was at the time, but their. Co- the collaboration of Fiona Apple and John Bryan, you know, is is 
that's one of the great pairings of modern popular music to me. Um, and the way that they use mm -hmm. strings and, and, and the way her songs are just sometimes really, really deeply harmonically juicy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so as much as they are incredibly confessional and direct and brutally honest, uh, you know, emotionally, in, in, in sort of exploring her her own you know emotionality and 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 that of those around her it still has like just it, there's just such a musical surplus around it of musical ideas and or the, the arrangements and the performances it's just I thought it was so cool I just I read this this new interview great interview or, or piece on Fiona um, in the New Yorker and oh yeah I read that one too it's, it's great. so great it's amazing. And she says, uh, some, they say something about her, you know, how do you assess your old work or something? And when she goes through it, she's just like, oh, when she gets to When the Pawn, it's like, well, that's just a great record. It's so refreshing to just hear the artist be like, oh, yeah, but that, yeah, you can't argue with that record. Like, it's, it's even, <laughs> even her as self-critical as they can only imagine she is with her own work. She just like, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's just, that record just is great <laughs> exactly yeah for me i mean it's very hard for me to pick like a, a repeat and a skip um because i really love this whole album mm -hmm. in its entirety and i just think it's such a cohesive um collection of songs but i guess if i were forced to skip one i maybe would pick get gone the track oh, before really? the, the penultimate song yeah um but i mean only because <laughs> I, I you know kind of forcing forcing myself to and then my repeat would probably be it's tough, but maybe like either paper bag or on the bounce, yeah. the opening yeah. track. Yeah. Um, it, it's all it's all really great to me. I mean, this this to me is one of my favorites of all yeah, time. Right? So it's kind of tough. Yeah, I. Uh, well, should I go? I I. I it's, yeah. I'm looking at the track list now just to sort of get some perspective. And yeah, man, I have to say also, I it is one of those, and I guess that's one why it's one of my favorite records. And why it's maybe unfair to pick a favorite record for this this thing where we have to skip one track because it's really one an album where I, I there's there is no weak track. I think the repeat song that I always come back to is I know. So that's mm -hmm. that to me is uh, that's its own thing in a way. It's yeah. So yeah. that that will I think forever be my repeat. I think if I have to skip. Um, uh, I think maybe maybe the way things are is my skip song. Mm -hmm. um, mm. I, 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 it's beautiful and it's it just feels a, a hair sort of lighter. I don't know. Yeah, it's just if if I were to sort of weigh all the songs like that, that one is the only one where I could I I I, I I'm not as maybe as intensely enamored. Even though it's a great song and a great recording and a great performance and, and just, you know, miles above any competition. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd kill for that song, but, I, 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 you know, if I have to skip one here, I'll skip that one. I had a hard time uh, picking a skip on this, actually, and I really, really forced myself to like, pick one yeah. <laughs> um, just because, like, you know, I have such an attachment to all these songs. Um, but I think that I picked um, as a skip paper bag just because uh, for me, that's not as emotional as um, 
a lot of the other tracks and um it's a little bit faster paced and um you know i i tend to like songs that i can kind of drown my sorrows in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah uh and then for my repeat i uh picked a mistake um and i think that that just resonated with me because like i grew up uh you know in a very kind of con- uh strict like asian uh family upbringing uh where i wasn't really allowed to do much yeah, yeah. socially so you know when i went to college i that was literally uh <laughs> the time where i was making lots and lots of yeah. mistakes <laughs> in life and <laughs> And enjoying it, and I, I just love like the idea of like making a good mistake, which she kind of refers mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. in the song. And because, yeah. yeah, on purpose, yeah. and just to grow as a person. Because if you can learn from your mistakes, or at least open yourself up to experience something, um, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's just part of it becomes part of who you are yeah. and what you know defines yeah. you. So that was my. Um, favorite on that. Yeah. We're going to hop into Justified, which was uh, JT's debut in 2002. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, obviously, he was uh, the, the, the lead front man for NSYNC. Um, yeah. What, what do you guys have to say about this one? Well, um, I, I actually, this sort of connects with uh, my first trip to America that I talked about earlier, because on on my first trip to uh, to America in 2002, this album came out, and I had really, really loved the first single, Like I Love You, and I, I was really getting into the Neptunes and their productions and songwriting. And so I have fond mo- memories of just listening to this record, and, and I think I listened to it all the way, on the plane, all the way home to Norway. I, I, I put it on repeat, <laughs> I, I put it in my disc man, and I, 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 and I listened to it on the plane all the way. So I have really uh, fond memories. Uh, and, and to me, it's sort of a coming to America album, I guess. Um, and sort of dreaming away, you know, this just really cool, beautiful, expensive production. And, and this, this, you know, this, this sort of wimpy kid suddenly like manning up and like getting his like makeover and, 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 and I guess a little bit of that, like, oh, shit, this kid, this kid is actually good. You know, you wrote him off in, in sync and, and and here he was, like, really messing around with some really cool songs with, with obviously, with, with, with Timbaland and, and Neptunes and, you know, all the, the greatest production money can buy. But, but I, yeah, I, 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 I like that record a lot, but there's... It's definitely a record that it's there's it's easier for me to find like the skip songs than on on any Fiona Apple record. <laughs> uh, I think I have to agree with yeah. you there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what was your repeat and what was your skip? Uh, the, okay, the highs are really high on this. I love Senorita. I think I think that to me, I thought Senorita was so cool. The chords there are just that's just pure jazz. You know, it's beautiful. So I think. I have to pick that. If not, it's actually last night is to me like I, I was surprised that wasn't a single. I thought that was so cool, especially the outro. But yeah, I think Senorita. But then the skip, oof, 
for me, it's it's um, there's a I I wish I could edit this record for him because it's you know if I could skip like four songs on this, it'd be a, it would be you know a modern day thriller. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I, I yeah I kind of agree. I think some of these songs are a little too long, and and also there are just too many songs on the yeah, album. Yeah, there's just too many songs on it. Um, and, and I don't even it's you know I think uh, which I think I think maybe that song "Take Me Now," um, and she said mm -hmm. "Take Me Now." I remember that being not a favorite. There's a little bit too many ballads towards the end, also, and. And also, I don't think I like that one that's called "Oh No, What You Got." I think I, I, I was ready to skip that. <laughs> I was ready to skip that one too. <laughs> yeah, Jen, what are what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when this album came out, I think I was, um, I was actually, I think, working as like a music editor at like this teen site, so <laughs> we were covering a lot of Justin Britney oh, type, wow. type stuff. You know, and it's not, you know, necessarily reflective of, like, you know, my musical taste, but, you know, I did did uh, have to cover a lot of these <laughs> things. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it being his, like, debut solo album, it, you know, there was just so much, um, you know, around, uh, you, you know, his fame from NSYNC, but now he gets to work with really cool producers, like, um, you know, Timbaland and like the Neptunes, like, uh, and, and, and for me that that's maybe the hook for me, Yeah, like, right. um, them being producers, because, um, I actually usually like anything that Timbaland does and, uh, Pharrell and, um, and, uh, so I think for me, just listening back to it this time, there was just so much Michael Jackson influence yes. on it that just, <laughs> sticks out you know yeah. um but yeah like i would re repeat like like i love you that's a really easy um to listen to song and it's pretty solid um and you know i like anything that has a little bit of hip-hop in it mm -hmm. um as well because it has clips on this mm. uh track um but um my skip actually would be sorry sandra mm -hmm. uh last night <laughs> because you know <laughs> for me it's like um it's almost like he took the whole MJ influence a little bit too far for me yeah, because right, right. like he, a lot of the words would end in the, like that, uh, you know, like that kind of way. <laughs> yeah, the sound. <laughs> you know, that sound, that guttural gut, 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 sound or whatever. And I just was, I would want to see him do, uh, you know, kind of develop his own kind of style. Like it's yeah, okay right. to be influenced I think, by <laughs> yeah. somebody, but you know, I no. think, isn't, you want to take a song, and isn't the, isn't the story that a lot of these songs were originally pitched to Michael Jackson by the Neptunes, and he turned them down? I th I've heard that some some place. Oh, I don't it, know. That's like super interesting. Yeah, yeah, and because he, oh, wow. he turned it down, and then and then I guess Justin was like, "Well, um, I I I I could do them," you know. When Like I Love You came out, I was like, okay, this song I really like. This is a great pop single. I had high hopes for the album, and for me, the album was kind of hit and miss. Yeah. Um, I think for me, like I was saying earlier, I think the songs are a little too long. The shortest song is four and a half minutes. So yeah. for me, for a pop release, like, yeah. turn it down a bit. Yeah, <laughs> and also, I think at the time, obviously, um, Timbaland and the Neptunes and everything Pharrell-related was super hot. But I feel like some of these songs sound 
pretty dated when I revisit them. Yeah. Um, I guess it's I a little um, uneven. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a little all over the place. But um, yeah. I think for me, what was kind of funny, uh, kind of piggybacking on what you said, Jin, about the kind of um, certain moments of the album and certain sounds, like he's also very much into like, the chivalry and it's it's so cheesy and it's so tacky that it's it's almost kitsch for me. Yeah. It's like funny. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, I but, mean, I yeah. you know he was like riding the line between like the the boy band days and like look at me, yeah, especially with the whole Britney drama, yeah, Crimea yeah, yeah. River, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think it is definitely like a transition period for him. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, um, future sex love sounds I I enjoyed more on the whole than than this one. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, I guess it, I like the singles on that, but I never actually sat really sat with that as an album for some reason. But I I think by then I I think I I just. I was just tuning into something else. I, there was just something about that moment in time uh, when Justified yeah. came out, where I was just like, I was ready to sort of be with. I was. I, I guess I was ready to sort of make the transition with Justin somehow, and then we our, our paths just you know crossed. And actually, it's funny. I remember I was in New York, and I was um, you know like half a year after I was back in New York. I was playing a show, and I had a day off. And I, somebody said, "Hey, do you wanna do you wanna go see Justin Timberlake at Webster Hall tonight? He's doing a secret show with Black Eyed Peas. Wow. I'd, I'd never heard of Black Eyed Peas. It was just when they were releasing Where Is the Love with with the JT. And so I went mm -hmm. to and I, and my girlfriend was from Norway was there at the time and she came with me. I could take her, like, hey, do you want to come see Justin Timberlake in an intimate venue tonight? <laughs> so I, I have very fond memories of New York and Justin Timberlake and sort of being a man of the world sort of for a, for a little moment. Um, I, probably the same way he felt when he made Man of the Woods, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah right? Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Yeah, This is a lot of fun. You. My pleasure, man. Anytime. Thank fun. you for having me, guys. Of Thank course. You. So that was our season finale of season two. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe we made it all the way. <laughs> Thanks to everyone for sticking with us this season, and we'll be back with season three before you know it. Yay, can't wait. Thanks, bye. Bye. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. 
In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.